My granny didn't like cauliflower. As far as I know, she'd eat every other vegetable, but she refused to eat cauliflower, insisting she didn't like it. However, I remember one day, and to our great amusement, discovering, I think it was my granddad who, left, who let the cat out of the bag, um, we discovered that she'd never tried it. She'd never put a piece of cauliflower into her mouth and found out for herself what it tasted like. As children, of course, we, were, um, we couldn't help roasting her about that. And we kept asking her, how could she possibly know if she'd never even tried it that she didn't like it? This morning, we're invited by David in Psalm 34 to partake of his knowledge of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. These words from verse 8 are very familiar words to us, and we sing them at most communion services, I think. Taste, of course, means to try something by experiencing it for yourself. Unless we taste for ourselves... We can't appreciate what David's telling us here. We can't truly know God's goodness for ourselves. Unlike Granny, we need to be willing to experience it as we would taste a new food. But let's begin at the beginning. It's pretty obvious from the the language David uses in the opening verses that he's full to bursting point with praise for God and he can't keep it to himself. He wants everyone to know how wonderful God is. And he invites all who hear him to share in that praise of God. Verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful line to remember? I will glory in the Lord. When did you last glory in the Lord? Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me, he invites. Let's exalt his name together. The love and enthusiasm for God's goodness is just pouring from David's lips. What wonderful, uplifting words these are. And he invites us this morning to join him. So what brought on this joyous enthusiasm for David? He goes on to tell us of his experience in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his trouble. Fortunately, we do know when David wrote this psalm and what this is about, due to the little superscription at the beginning of the psalm, which says of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. This relates the psalm to the brief episode in 1 Samuel 21 that we read about this morning. Let's just remind ourselves of this situation that David was in and what led to this um, praising of God this morning. Saul, of course, had been king of Israel, but he disobeyed God and displeased him. And then God chose David to be the next king. But at the beginning, they kind of got on, Saul and David. Saul was very pleased with David's victory over Goliath, which you'll all know about, and the Philistines. 
And David soothed Paul by playing his harp, Saul, sorry, by playing his harp. But in time, Saul became suspicious of David. The song the women sang comparing David's victory with Saul's finally pushed Saul over the edge. Now Saul made a number of attempts on David's life, which you can read about in 1 Samuel. And finally he gave the orders for David to be killed. That resulted in David having to flee from Saul. And that's where we picked up the story in chapter 21 this morning. Here we find David as a political refugee. He's a man without a country. He's separated from his family and from his beloved friend Jonathan. He's completely alone and he's in great danger. But what David did was truly astonishing when you think about it. He flees from Israel to the land of the Philistines. He leaves the people of God for the enemies of God. After he had killed Goliath, the Philistine champion, David and the Israelites pursued the Philistines, killing them right up to the cities of Gath and Ekron. Now, in our story this morning, David approaches Gath again, but this time as a political refugee seeking asylum from King Achish. David came to Gath seeking protection and sanctuary. But this is the hometown of Goliath. And to make matters worse, when David arrived in Gath, he's carrying Goliath's sword. You'd think David must be crazy to go to Gath. Far less his conduct when he got there. But that just tells us how dangerous the situation was for him. If David was forced to seek sanctuary among his enemies, he must have been really in a desperate situation. It seems from the account that we have in 1 Samuel that Achish somehow takes a liking to David. He seems quite confident of David's submission to him. It doesn't seem to enter his head that David may still be a loyal Israelite, soon to take over the throne. But the servants of this King Achish are not so easily taken in. They pressurize this Philistine king to take David as a serious threat to Philistine security. So they go to him and say, does not the king remember that David was designated as Israel's next king? Does he not remember Goliath's death and their defeat by Israel under David's leadership? Has he forgotten the song sung about David, proclaiming him to be greater than Saul? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So Achish is forced to rethink his offer to David of sanctuary. And while he was thinking about that, fortunately, David heard about the counsel that the king's servants had given to Achish. They know that if he, sorry, he knows that if that advice is taken, he might be put to death. David at this point is in real trouble, a lot of trouble. And it seems impossible to him to get out of this predicament that he's in with his life. But it turns out there is a way. David does escape with his life, but not, unfortunately, with his dignity. As we heard in um, a reading this morning, he arrived a dreaded warrior, greater even than Goliath, and he leaves as a lunatic. David somehow lands on the great idea 
of acting as if he's insane. If he can convince the king he's lost his sanity, he will no longer have to be taken as a serious threat, and he might just be allowed to live. So David began to scribble on the city gates and let the saliva run down his face and into his beard. He's disgusting and pathetic in the way that he's acting. But this act does certainly convince King Akish, fortunately. And Akish doesn't really seem to want to kill David anyway. This is his way out. The king needn't take a madman seriously, need he? There's no glory in killing David. There's no benefit either to keeping him in Gath. They have enough crazy Philistines of their own without taking on an Israelite madman as well. So Akish has David run out of town and David's life is spared. Is it any wonder then that David is singing his heart out and praising God. He's just escaped from that very dangerous situation with his life. However, you'll notice that what he doesn't do is take any of the credit for himself. You'll notice he's not saying, look how clever I am for getting the better of King Achish. He's giving all the glory to God. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. He wants everyone to know. So in verse 8 we have this wonderful invitation to learn what David has learned. That our God is a good God. But we have to respond to that invitation. Aren't non-Christians very good at complaining that God doesn't step in and make things happen or stop things from happening? Therefore, there can be no God. Here, it's clear that we are the ones who take the action. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Isn't that a lovely picture of taking refuge in God? That feeling of being protected, of feeling safe, a feeling in the very depth of your being that all is well. Happy indeed are those who are wrapped in the arms of God. And God responds to that call. I sought the Lord and he answered me. God rewards those who love, respect and worship him. Fear the Lord, verse 9, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Isn't that amazing? Here there are echoes of Psalm 23, which we've just been singing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want for nothing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, wrote David. Then when we come to verse 11, there's a change of tack. David comes comes into teaching mode. He shifts into a kind of different mode. And in verse 11 says, come my children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Our part is to fear the Lord 
to recognise his power, to respect him, to honour him, to trust in him. I will trust in you alone. And to worship him for his goodness to us. We are to keep watch over our behaviour and actively seek to do what we know to be acceptable to God. Verse 12, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. These are all things that we have to do. Verse 12 seems to suggest that if we simply uphold the standards of right speech and action listed in 13 and 14, we can count on a long and happy life. But the remainder of the psalm brings us back to reality. There's a real acknowledgement here that the righteous do suffer, that life can be hard for us. But oh, the hopeful assurance that the Lord is aware of such troubles and acts to rescue the sufferer. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them, him, them from him, him from them all. The Lord rescues his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. With these concluding verses of Psalm 34, the author has returned to the subject matter with which he began, namely the suffering which God has delivered him from. But David's message is clear and he desperately wants us to understand. We can all experience that deliverance when we turn to God. For me, the truth of these verses is absolute. As a clinical hypnotist, I have the enormous privilege of seeing God deliver people from their suffering, sometimes in the most miraculous ways, every single day. The people I see are often at the end of their tether. All have fears of one kind or another. Their hearts are broken and their spirits are crushed. They're suffering from the pain and the anguish, the anger, the anxiety, the terror, the desperation that life's events have created in them. And it is my enormous privilege to observe the goodness of God as they are healed from their afflictions by God's healing power within. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Like David, I am well aware that it's not my doing, but God's goodness that delivers them from their troubles. And the only response can be that of David, to glorify God for it. I think some of my clients are sometimes a little taken aback as I suddenly say things like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. In fact, the other week, after a particularly good session, actually, with one chap, um, and we had, we had finally understood what one of his symptoms was about, I heard myself say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He laughed, um, but I meant it. 
Like David, I recognize that the power is God's and that it's because of his goodness to us that we can be delivered from our fears and our troubles. David tells us we are to praise God at all times. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. This morning, we've already sung, if we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely we would never cease to praise. That's what David the psalmist wants us to understand this morning. Later on, we will sing, blessed be your name. Even when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. We've been considering David's invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to leave you with another invitation this morning to respond as David responded in the first three verses of Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. And to invite in others, let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Then you will truly be able to sing every blessing you pour out. I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Amen.